Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. I'm Kim Russo, the director of AGLCA. Today we're going to talk about a topic that sparked a lot of comments and a lot of interest on our members' discussion forum recently, and that is the VHF radio and the proper way to use it and, and the way to use it and follow proper etiquette as well as rules. So I have asked Dave Fuller to join me again. He's been with us recently um, and he is with the Coast Guard Auxiliary, but I'll let him kind of more officially introduce himself in a moment. But I do want to stop to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes and Associates, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners and viewers to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. So with the business finished, uh, Dave Fuller, thank you for joining me again. Welcome back. Uh, good to be here, Kim. Yeah, and for those of you, if you did not catch Dave doing this podcast on opportunities that both the Coast Guard Auxiliary and others offer for boating education, definitely check that out because it was a great session. And I've heard from several people, Dave, who have joined the Coast Guard Auxiliary subsequently to watching that. So thank you for sharing all that information. Um, but go ahead, for anyone who maybe did not see that, go ahead and refresh us a little bit on your boating background and your current position with the Coast Guard Auxiliary. Well, uh, I've been boating quite a long time, as a lot of loopers have. Um, I got involved with the Coast Guard Auxiliary uh, back right after 9-11 uh, and found out that maybe my background with, uh, with ham radio and my background with the leadership things that I'd done in the past might come into play. And I found out that uh, even though I got recruited as a watchstander, I, I found that the auxiliary does a lot of other things, a lot of really good work. And uh, so I've been very fortunate. I've had some good mentors along the way, and I've uh, applied some of my corporate background and, and was able to move up through the ranks. Uh, currently, uh, the hat that I'm wearing right now is the director of education for the auxiliary. And uh, I think I've really found my home. It's uh, really something I like. And know that my team is really making a difference in people's lives by making them smarter. Our goal is to keep all of the Coast Guard uh, response guys, uh, that's the guys that jump out of perfectly good helicopters and save people. Uh, our job is to keep those guys in the stations playing video games. And so uh, when we do that right, uh, they get some time off. But enough of that for now. I've, I've learned a few things along the way and um, like to share that information, and that's what brings me to you today. Yeah, and thank you for your service to boaters and boating education, um, and, and thank you for giving us your time, because it's great to have access to somebody with your kind of knowledge. Um, today, we want to talk about the VHF radio, because um, I think all of us can use a refresher sometimes, and we do have a lot of new boaters who really aren't familiar with using the VHF, particularly some weekend boaters tend not to use it as much as as long distance cruisers like loopers might. So using the VHF radio properly is, you know, it's partly about rules and reg regulations. It's partly about courtesy and it's a lot about safety. So we really want to focus on all of that. Um, tell us what the Coast Guard says about the v VHF, who's required to have one and, and what kind of true regulations as opposed to just courtesy are there surrounding the VHF radio? Uh, sure, Kim. Let me, let me kind of break this into a couple of separate parts. Um, let's start with why we have VHF radio. You know, it, it has multiple purposes, but its primary reason for being available 
um, for us as Mariners, and this is according to the FCC, uh, is safety at sea. The secondary reason is the needs of the vessel, not necessarily the captain or the crew. And this authority comes from the Communications Act of 1934, and it's currently found in the Code of Federal Regulations. Those of you that uh, look that kind of stuff up, CFR uh, Title 47, Part 80. And um, it's, it's important to understand that the FCC, Federal Communications Commission, is the authority on radio communications, not the Coast Guard. Uh, remember that these marine VHF channels are shared radio spectrum with all users, and there's no private conversations on the radio. So radio rules for mariners kind of fall into two categories. One of them they refer to as compulsory. In other words, you're required to carry a radio, and that would include boats that carry more than six passengers for hire. And then the other category are the voluntary vessels, which are those that are under 65 feet that, uh, that don't carry uh, passengers. And of course, that, that, uh, that fits most loopers. Uh, if you have a vessel over 65 feet, you must have a ship station license and you also must carry a radio. Uh, the ship's station license, and uh, with that, you also need what's called a restricted radio telephone operator's permit. Uh, it's required uh, if you are a U.S. flag vessel and you're traveling outside U.S. waters or if you communicate with another vessel outside U.S. waters. And of course, this would include Canada, the Bahamas, et cetera. And it's all due to international treaties. And you can find a lot of this stuff uh, and you can look it up yourself uh, at the, I feel is a little bit challenging to navigate FCC website. Some people have a little easier time than I do with it, but uh, anyway, you'll find it all there. So it's important to know that radio communications, according to the rules, they're prioritized. And this is the order that they're prioritized in. Uh, the higher ones uh, take priority over the lower ones. So we start with the, with the most important one, of course, is the one we all know is Mayday. That's the distress uh, communications. They take precedence over all others. Then moving down the list, the next in urgency is something that we call pon pon. And those are urgency, messages of urgency. Uh, safety is next on the list. And you'll hear somebody call out security, security. And those are safety messages. Then comes navigation movements and the needs of the ship. Uh, government, of course, gets stuck in there. And then everything else kind of falls below that, uh, which is kind of the other the things that we use it for most often. Um, and, you know, the, you can get in trouble if you violate some of those rules. You know, some of the egregious ones, I don't expect any of our listeners here to, to violate any of these, but the ones that the FCC has to deal with most often are uh, interfering with distress signals, uh, false maydays, willfully interfering with another station, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, not really a, a, an issue, I think, for loopers. So, and thank you for all of that information. There is an article or two on the AGLCA website about the ship station license and what you'll need for loopers who perhaps are going to Canada or the Bahamas. So if you go to the information menu and then the, um, 
members knowledge base. There is an article on that that was contributed by some of our members and includes links and instructions on the FCC website, which is challenging um, to navigate. Um, but Dave, a couple of the things that you mentioned there, as you said, most people are familiar with May Day, but perhaps not so much with Pon Pon or even Securite. So can you give us a couple of examples of when a looper might need to use those or, or even perhaps when a looper might expect to hear those coming through the radio? Yeah, well, Securite is the one you'll probably hear most often. And that is, there's something out here that's going to be in your way. Look out for it. Uh, you know, an example might be there is a, um, you know, a, a floating object or something that might might be out in the way. And you would call out the location of it just to let other people know that that it exists. Mm -hmm. um, also, you may be coming around a blind curve. Um, I know there's one marina that we stayed at down in, um, in Key Largo that had a very, very sharp 90 degree turn. And you really needed to announce your intent to go around that corner before you got there because you don't want to meet another boat in that blind corner. So you would call out a security to let them know that I'm coming through here. Um, you know, if you're out there, please, you know, give me room to, to, to get through. Uh, pon Pon, the urgency ones, you know, the boat's not on fire and, and we're not jumping in the water yet, but we have a serious issue. You know, we we maybe have some water coming in or, or just to let the Coast Guard know that you've got some kind of a a, a problem, but not, not a life uh, endangering issue. The boat's not on fire and it's not going to sink right now, but I've got an issue that's creating a problem that could lead uh, to something bigger later. So you you might hear an urgency, a pon pon uh, would be that sort of thing. Doesn't rise to the level of safety of life, but it is still an urgent message. Right. Okay. So, uh, you know, moving on to kind of monitoring the VHF while you're underway on the loop, what channel or channels, as it may be, should loopers be monitoring when they're underway on the waterways? Well, it depends on where you are, Kim. Um, obviously, the, the one that we all need to monitor uh, is channel 16, which is the, the hailing uh, frequency that you hail other boats on. Once you make contact, you move to a working channel. But also, I'm a very strong proponent in areas where you have commercial traffic, uh, which is a good portion of the Great Loop. Uh, that you would also monitor channel 13. And channel 13 is where most of your commercial traffic will be. So if you need to talk to any of those boats, you'll probably find them there first. Now, they are required to monitor also channel 16, channel 16, but um, uh, generally they respond on, on 13, on 13. Uh, in some areas, high traffic, high density areas, I think New York Harbor is this way, there's a number of large harbors that you go in that sometimes uh, they'll be using channel nine as the alternate hailing and distress channel. If, if channel 16 gets pretty busy, you can do the same thing on channel nine. So, but that really depends on your location. Um, and, and the big, usually it's the big, uh, the, the big uh, uh, harbors is where you run into that. Now, if you have a second radio uh, or you have your radio set on scan, you can kind of establish, um, you know, you monitor the pre-established working channel. If you have a group running together, you know, if you have several boats, you may pick a, 
a channel and say, we're gonna communicate back and forth on this. Now, when you get to bridges, bridge tenders usually are on channel 13, well, it's one three, uh, except in Florida, where it tends to be channel nine in Florida, quite a, quite a number of them. I think pretty much all of them in Florida are on channel nine. Um, one that you probably don't need to monitor, but you do need to be aware of it, and you do need to be able to turn there if you need to, is the Coast Guard non-emergency channel is 22 Alpha, 22A. And what that A stands for is a USA frequency. If it's just channel 22, your radio might be on the international. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that later. But 22 alpha is the USA frequency that you would talk to the Coast Guard. You, you might call them on channel 1616, and then they would switch you to channel 22 alpha to carry on the conversation. That gets the, uh, the traffic off of 16 and, and, and frees it back up. But most commercial ships are on 13, is that is the bridge to bridge channel everywhere. So um, a, a really good resource for you to see what all these channels on your radio are used for. The Coast Guard Nav Center, and uh, uh, I, uh, the, the kind of the easy way to get there is the NAVCEN, N-A-V-C-E-N.uscg.gov, NAVCEN.uscg.gov. It has a wealth of safety information and navigation information, including radio. And if you spend a little time on that website, you'll get some really good authoritative answers. So as I said before, remember that when you're in the US, you use the US channels. And when you're outside the US, you use the international channels. Now your radios might have a switch, a button or something, some of them may be a menu programming change. You'll have to look at your at the owner's manual to see what it calls for to how to make sure you're on the right series of frequencies. Most of the frequencies are the same between international and USA, but there are a few of them where um, they're called uh, duplex frequencies where you transmit on one, you receive on another. And some of those are simplex frequencies in international where you talk and receive on the, on the same frequency. So. Uh, again, we're kind of down in the minutiae here, but uh, make sure you're on the right series of channels. Yeah, so just a point of clarification, if you would, for us, Dave. Um, you know, you mentioned kind of having the radio on scan. Um, one of the topics in the discussion forum was to monitor, you know, two channels, 13 and 16, possibly some others. Is that the same as setting the radio to scan, or is it different for which you're monitor when you want to monitor a few specific channels? Yeah. It depends, Kim, on the specifics of your radio. Some radios are capable of scanning. Some radios are capable of dual watch or tri watch. Um, some will just go through every single channel, and it'll stop when it gets a uh, when it gets a radio traffic uh, that exceeds the squelch level. Uh, some of them will only like if you have a dual watch radio, it'll it will. Uh, monitor 16 is your primary, and then you specify what the second frequency that you want it to monitor, uh, which is a good thing. It allows one radio to monitor more multiple frequencies. But the one drawback to it that a lot of people don't understand is when a call comes in, that radio will stop on that call. And as long as there's radio transmission going, it'll stay on that channel. But most radios, as soon as that radio transmission stops, it'll start scanning again. And you may or may not catch 
what channel that radio transmission came on. So it's it's a little harder to do the dual watch or tri watch or the scanning because you have to pay a little bit closer attention to the radio to see uh, what channel did the radio stop on and what uh, where is that radio traffic coming from? Which channel? So, and, and some of our members were recommending having two radios at the helm station. Um, talk to us a little bit about what the advantage to that might be and, and whether you personally subscribe to that theory as, as that's something you should do. Uh, very much so. I, I am a big, big proponent of having multiple radios. So, you know, the, the big advantage, um, you know, if, if you have... Uh, a, a dinghy and you go ashore uh, having a, a handheld radio uh, and you leave somebody on the on the big boat that still gives you communications back and forth from your your shore party back to your your mothership but um, one of the main reasons I use two radios is redundancy um, what do I mean by redundancy well you have two completely independent radio systems. Your handheld radio has its own power supply, it has its own antenna, it has its own transmitter, its own receiver. So it's completely independent of your main radio. Why is that important? Well, we found out when we were on the loop and we were coming across Apalachicola Bay and our primary radio quit. And of course I did all the quick troubleshooting, you know, I thought maybe a fuse came loose or a a wire became unplugged or something, and I went through all the troubleshooting, couldn't fix it. So we still had a handheld radio that I could communicate, you know, close in and of course going across Apalachicola Bay to Carabelle was no big deal with the handheld. However, we had planned to cross, uh, do the Gulf crossing the very next day, and there was no way in the world I was planning on making the Gulf crossing with only a handheld VHF radio. So we managed to uh, pick one up at one of the marinas there in Carabelle, and we kind of MacGyvered it in, you know, we made it work uh, so we could make our, our crossing. And so, uh, you know, having that redundancy of radio capability is really important uh, in case of a failure. And, you know, what's the chances of it? I don't know. Um, I don't, I don't uh, buy lottery tickets all that often or don't <laughs> visit Vegas and, and play the odds there, but, um, it, it does give you complete redundancy. The second most important thing is um, a lot of times there's, there's a lot of chatter on the radio. You might be monitoring 16 or you might be monitoring channel 13 or whatever. And, you know, it becomes a distraction. Um, it actually decreases your situational awareness because you're, you're listening to all this chatter. So wouldn't it be a neat thing if you could hand a radio to uh whoever else is on the boat with you, tell them to go someplace else, monitor that traffic. And if it's anything important, they come back and tell you. And otherwise it, it just takes that load, that mental load off of you and gives you far better situational awareness. So it's got a lot of, a lot of advantages and really uh, no disadvantages that I know of. Yeah. And I think um, some some groups of loopers who are traveling together and, and have, um, you know, something they need to discuss about locking through and, you know, who's going in what order, um, having that second handheld can allow you to go to a different channel and have that discussion. And if it's going to be a little bit of a longer discussion, you can still be monitoring um, 16 on your main radio. So I, I've known several loopers who have used it 
the second radio at the helm station specifically for that. Um, so, you know, I agree. There's very little disadvantage to having it there and, and tons of advantages. Um, let's take a quick break and play a message from a sponsor. When we come back, I want to just kind of walk through, you know, what is the correct and proper and courteous way to make a call on the VHF. So for folks who have never done that before, it can be a little bit intimidating because it's not a private communication. There's lots of people out there listening to you. So we'll just run through the right way to do that. And we'll be back in a moment. This is a message from Captain Scott A. Wally. Hello, fellow loopers. SA Wally Marine Services is new to AGLCA, however, not to boating nor the boating community. Very few people have the opportunity to experience the Great Loop. In doing so, the time may come where some guidance and or assistance is needed. This may be in the form of either travel or technical support. My goal as a seasoned captain and AGLCA sponsor is to be there for fellow boaters, as we are all shipmates in this exciting adventure. Signed, Captain Scott A. Wally of S.A. Wally Marine Services. We're back on Great Loop Radio. My guest today is Dave Fuller. He is the current Director of Education for the U.S. Coast Guard Auxiliary, and we're thrilled to have him back with us. Today's topic is the VHF radio and the correct way and the courteous way to use that. So, Dave, if you would, you know, kind of run through how a looper should use the radio to make a call, whether that's, you know, um, to, to reach another vessel to arrange for a slow pass or, or whatever the reason might be. Talk about the channel and the correct verbiage to go along with that. Okay, Kim, uh, very well. Yeah, the, the, the first thing you have to realize <clears throat> is actually properly using the radio and how do you, how do you control the microphone? Um, starting out with that, you basically hold it Hold the microphone at about a 45 degree angle to your mouth, uh, a few inches away. You don't want to be eating the microphone. You want to hold it a few inches away. You <clears throat> press the push to talk button. Wait about a half a second before you start talking. And <clears throat> otherwise, if you start talking before you press the push to talk button, uh, all of that is not heard by the person on the other end. So uh, just kind of build that habit if you can. Um, so the proper way to hail any vessel, uh, if you know the name of it, uh, it's great. And I've got another thing here you can do if, if, if you don't know the name of the vessel. So let's start assuming you know the name of the vessel. So the first thing you do is you call the name of the vessel that you're wanting to talk to. You call their name three times and then announce yourself and what channel you're on. So as an example... I'm trying to call the boat real time. So my call would sound like this. Real time, real time, real time. This is Bite Me on channel 16. And always say the name of the other vessel first and always call it three times. And you, you say you're on channel 16. You're not on channel 16. You're on channel 16. So why do you do, why do you call it out three times? It's very simple it's very likely that they have other things distracting them and they're probably not concentrating on radio calls and they, may, they might just miss their name being called if you only call it one time. So by saying it three times allows more opportunity for them to hear and understand that you wanna to talk to them. And then going back to what I said earlier about <clears throat> having multiple channels or a person that's monitoring multiple radios or, or the uh, radio is on dual watch, tri watch, or scan. 
It also uh, keeps that transmission going a little longer where they can glance and see what channel they're on. And then by announcing what channel you're on, that gives them confirmation, I'm calling them on channel one six. So that's the, the, the best way to do it. Okay. Now, mm -hmm. if, if you're not on AIS and can't see the name on the boat, you kind of use a similar process, uh, calling the boat name three times, you identify yourself and state the channel you're on. But if you can't see the vessel's name or, they, uh, or it doesn't have a name, then try and do a descriptor about the type of boat and its location. So as an example, we could, we could say uh, large sailboat in Boca Ciega Key near channel marker 27. Large sailboat in Boca Ciega Bay near channel marker 27. Local, large sailboat in Boca Ciega Bay near channel marker 27. This is the Bite Me, the 42-foot trawler on your stern calling on channel 16. So that's that's a way you can you can do it uh, if you don't know the name of the boat. Okay, and then um, what is the appropriate response if you are the one being hailed? Well, uh, if you don't get a response from the boat that you're calling, uh, just kind of be patient and give it another minute or two. And try and again, but if if uh, somebody is calling you, um, and, and say it's on channel one six, so uh, your reply to them would be, uh, "Bite me, this is the real time." Switch and answer on channel seven two, or whatever other channel you want to use, mm -hmm. uh, six eight six nine uh, seventy one seventy two seventy eight. I think I'd have to look at my list. Uh, so there's a bunch of them you can use, but you would say, uh, bite me, this is real time, switch and answer on channel 72. And then switch over to that channel and, and, uh, and you'd say, bite me, this is the real time over. So if, and this is another place, Kim, we're having a second radio already monitoring channel 72 for other traffic is really invaluable because you want to make sure you're not butting in on somebody else's conversation that's already going on on channel 72. Right. And, and if, if there's a, you know, parties going on there, go find an empty channel to take the conversation to it. So, you know, remember um, to listen before you transmit so you don't step on somebody's uh, transmission. And then one other real quick thing, Kim, uh, one of the things I highly recommend is we use the pro, what we call pro words, and the pro word, I think a lot of people have heard this, is over. So over means that I'm done talking, but I expect you to have a reply. I expect you to reply for me. When you're done with the conversation completely and you don't expect somebody to, to come back to you and, and uh, have additional transmission, use the pro word out. So if that's when it's finished, no replies expected. And then remember to switch back to the whatever channel you've been monitoring on. Now, you know, the primary reason that that whole communication starts on 16 because that's being monitored and then moves to another channel is to keep 16 free from chatter. So tell us a little bit about why that's so important and, um, you know, what's likely to happen if you forget that rule? You know, the Coast Guard is obviously monitoring what's happening on 16 and wants that to be clear. So tell us a little bit more about why that's so important. 
Well, you know, the designation of channel 16 is that of, uh, of a hailing frequency. In other words, that's where everybody's going to listen. And if there's a problem, that's, that's where the conversation starts. Once you make contact, then you need to move off of channel 16 onto whatever other working channel that you have. If you persist and carry on a conversation more than a few seconds, uh, the Coast Guard will gently remind you to get off the channel and take it to another working channel. And it gets a little bit more, uh, it, it kind of escalates from there if people ignore that. Um, you know, we're kind of a self-policing community, so to speak. The, the majority of us are. Yeah, there's a few yahoos out there. But by and large, the Marine community uh, kind of helps itself along, and we kind of self-monitor and and uh, help remind people that, you know, 16, uh, channel 16 is, is uh, for that purpose and keep that frequency free. Right. And then the other thing that I think um, some of us uh, don't know the details of, uh, talk to us a little bit about the difference between the high, high and low power transmissions and, and when it's appropriate to use each. Okay, very good. Yeah. Um, the... Uh, the, the low power channel, uh, your radio is programmed, uh, your, your regular uh, installed VHF um, radio is programmed to uh, go to one or the lowest power setting, which is generally five watts on, on the full size radios. And it can be anything from a 10th of a watt to a half a watt on a handheld, but they're programmed to go to the lowest power setting uh, uh, when you're on channel one, three. I think there's a couple other channels that that happens on as well, but um, they're designed to go to that because channel one, three is designed as what's called a bridge to bridge channel, uh, which not bridges in, in you know, cars driving over, but bridges of ships. And uh, they're generally designed to be used when boats are within sight of one another. And actually, if you're inside of another boat, you can communicate effectively with maybe a tenth of a watt um, of power. But a lot of a lot of handhelds go down to what's called 500 milliwatts or about a half a watt. Um, and and high power on most handhelds is five or six watts. I think there's a couple of them out there. It's seven or eight, but most of them are five or six watts. But fixed mount radios. Uh, often are five watts on low power and 25 watts on high. So what's the difference between that? Um, your, your radio footprint gets a lot bigger at 25 watts. It could be as much as 15 to 18 miles. And at low power, it shrinks down to maybe a couple of miles. But remember that the most important factor in range is not so much the power, but your antenna. And having the antenna up high is is really uh, will give you more range even at lower power settings. Um, a real quick word about antennas. Um, there's a lot of boats out there that you see that the antennas are kind of raked back at about a 45 degree angle because everybody thinks that's cool looking. And yeah, it may be cool looking, but it's not very good for communications. Um, antennas work best when they're completely vertically orientated. And why that is, is because the radio waves propagate perpendicular to the antenna. So that means if your antenna is laying vertical, what happens is half of your signal is going down into the water, the other half's going into outer space, and people probably aren't going to hear you parallel to the surface of the water. 
So the more vertical it becomes, the, the better your carry. And that applies uh, much more uh, highly for handheld radios because uh, a handheld radio has generally a little small rubber duck antenna and they're not real effective uh, transmitters either. So they need all the help they can get. So try and remember when you're using your handheld radio, uh, try and use it in as vertical an orientation as you can. All right, well, before we wrap up, any other things, tips or otherwise that you wish loopers understood more about the VHF radio and its usage? Well, I think, you know, for especially boaters that are new to VHF radios, I think um, maybe build yourself a little cheat sheet and write out a couple of scripts to get you through the first few calls. Um, there's, there's some good resources out there. Boat US has a couple of really good vi uh, videos on Marine VHF. Uh, another good source that I, I looked at their website yesterday, uh, America's Boating Channel, uh, part of the US Power Squadrons. They've got uh, uh, some good videos on VHF radios. But I, I would urge everybody to be kind of careful, that not just any YouTube video out there maybe are not quite all authoritative, um, you know, use your best judgment. But um, a, a couple of really important things on VHF marine radios, and I'd really be remiss if I didn't add these. Um, one, of the, one of the issues or one of the systems the Coast Guard has is it's a system called Rescue 21. And it's a really sophisticated system that tracks people that have distress uh, uh, and they press that little distress button. They do have radio directional finding equipment um, that kind of helps them get close to where you are figuring out your position. But what really works best is that uh, uh, all the radios that have been built for probably the last 10, 15 plus years have something called DSC, digital selective calling. And if it has a little red button on it that says emergency or, or, or whatever the uh, distress or, or whatever the nomenclature is if that is if that radio is connected to a gps device sometimes it could be a chart plotter it could be a, a dedicated gps source that feeds that location to the radio if that's hooked up in it and and they press that distress button it sends a digitally coded message um, and gives the latitude longitude so they know exactly where you are and the statistics that the coast guard has on people that have that hooked up is actually pretty dismal. There's not a lot of people that, that have that hooked into their uh, uh, the radio giving uh, GPS uh, uh, location. Uh, good news is some of the manufacturers are now, now starting to include that in the radios so they don't have to have an external one. But uh, for all that to work, you have to have something called an MMSI, which stands for Maritime Mobile Service Identity. Think about it, uh, the equivalent to your cell phone number and that's assigned to the radio and entered into the Coast Guard database. Um, you can get that. I, I think the website has got a lot of good stuff. You know, where do you find that? And, you know, you can get it at the same time as your ship station license and restricted radio telephone operators permit. Um, there, there's a long list of stuff. You can get it through the FCC. You can get it through Boat US, uh, Power Squadrons. I think CETO is still doing it. I'm not sure about that. But I think the AGLCA website's got a, a nice long tutorial on exactly how you go through all that. But one, the last thing I kind of wanted to, to say is, um, 
you know, you're, you're going to do, you're going to learn by doing, you know, you pick up the radio, you start talking and before you know it, it's just second nature to you. It's, it's not difficult. It's not hard. Uh, you'll get to be a pro at it a lot faster than you can even imagine. And then the last thing I wanted to remind everybody, uh, another service that both the U.S. Power Squadrons and the Coast Guard Auxiliary provide is we do free annual vessel safety checks. And uh, I would also urge anybody that hasn't already done so recently to uh, take a basic boating safety course. Um, the uh, the americasboatingclub.org is a good, good source as the Coast Guard Auxiliary, cgaux.org or americasboatingclub.org. Those are two really good places to take uh, boating education. And then uh, last word is be safe and have fun. Uh, that's what we're all out here to do. Yeah, and that's a great way to wrap it up, Dave. Thanks for providing all that information. Um, and yes, in that last part, the MMSI number, detailed instructions for that are also in that member's knowledge base under the information menu. Um, so Dave, again, Thank you for another great session. We really appreciate the information. I think you're, you've helped a lot of people kind of wade through the, the pile of information to down to the basics of what we need to know. So we appreciate it. Very good. Um, and to everyone who has watched and listened this week, thank you for joining us once again. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. <laughs>